So we're continuing in our series on Revelation. You guys can bring up those slides. Um, this has been a fascinating series. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have too. Uh, but this one, we're going to tackle one of the more controversial passages in Revelation, and I'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to ask you, uh, by the way, the name of this message is Who Can Escape? <clears throat> have you ever been in an argument with someone and they, no? Okay. <laughs> You ever been in an argument and they asked you a hypothetical kind of accusatory question that they think you're not going to be able to answer? Right? I had three such questions asked of me yesterday by my wife. The first one, she asked this question just assuming I wouldn't have the answer. Did you change the air filter like you promised? Actually, honey, yes. That was so fun, just being able to have an answer to that question. Then she asked, well, did you get the apples from the store? No. How about the butter? No. But there were one question of the three hypotheticals I could answer. And I got to tell you, isn't that fun when somebody asks you a hypothetical question, they think you don't have the ability to answer? Like, oh, there's no answer to this. I got them. And then you answer it. It's like, boom. That's what chapter seven is in the book of Revelation. It's an answer to a hypothetical question. The question was, who can escape the wrath of the Lamb? And chapter 7 goes, uh, excuse me, <laughs> this group that I'm about to describe for you for the next 20 verses it does. <clears throat> now, continuing with my introduction here, what do you think are some of the most important things that the Holy Spirit does for us as followers of Jesus? I mean, the Holy Spirit certainly at times prompts us to specific actions or words or choices maybe we otherwise naturally in our human self would not engage in. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can provide this intangible, experiential, spiritual moment, prayer, some call it prophesying when you're preaching or teaching. There are many different perspectives on how often the Holy Spirit does this type of thing and, and the specifics and how it should happen and what it should look like. But certainly here's what we can all agree upon, no matter what our opinion is on what the Holy Spirit does. I think all of us here could say we agree as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is active. Now, look, these experiences the Holy Spirit provides, they can be powerful, they can be emotional, they can be very spiritually life-changing sometimes. But there is something that the Holy Spirit does for each and every follower of Jesus. The very first thing the Holy Spirit does that I believe is the most critical act of the Spirit of God for our survival. And that is this. The Holy Spirit places a seal on us. The Holy Spirit marks us so that we are preserved and protected and given the ability to escape God's judgment. With that in mind, let's look at our passage today from Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> after this, and what's the after this? Right after the question in chapter 6, who can escape the wrath of the Lamb? Right after that, here's what he says. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea. Whoops. Saying, do not harm the earth 
or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the seals, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin, all were sealed. Okay, let's close in prayer. We know what that means, right? We're just done. (laughs) Okay, so the 144,000 is one of the most debated things in Revelation. Who are they? When are they? (laughs) Where are they? There are basically three, I would say, three interpretations. The first one is a heretical interpretation coming from a group called the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not going to spend much time on it. But basically what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach is only 144,000 people will be allowed into heaven. The rest of us all have to be in the overflow area here on earth. (laughs) And it makes no sense because in this passage it clearly says they are on earth, not in heaven. So we're just going to dismiss that and not going to spend much time. There's another perspective from followers of Jesus, those who love Jesus, dispensationalism. We talked a little bit about it last week. Brothers and sisters in Christ who love our Lord. They see these 144,000 as Jewish-only evangelists that are saved after what is called the rapture. We've talked about that, the idea that there's this rapture before this hypothetical seven years of tribulation. And I can't see how that particular perspective lines up with many scriptures that say that Israel in the New Testament is both Jew and Gentile. More on this later. Look at the history of this passage. I've entitled this history section called Wind, Seals, and Tribes. I want you to understand what the scripture is doing when it uses these. First of all, these winds of judgment. The Old Testament has many references, did you know this, to four winds of the earth. And we aren't talking about gentle summer breezes. We're talking about stormy and destructive winds. And these aren't actually winds it's talking about. They are talking about the four winds from the north, the south, the east, and the west as a metaphor for judgment and destruction that will come in from all sides. Judgment that is coming from everywhere that is so powerful and so vast and so 360 judgment that no one can escape. Jeremiah 49, verse 36, look what Jeremiah says. I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of the heaven. You see the similarity to the language. I will scatter them to all the winds. Uh, I'll scatter them to all those winds, and there shall be no nation to which those driven out of, of Elam shall not come. Clearly another example, and this is one of about 15 of examples of the Old Testament using the four winds as judgment. <clears throat> Then there's this idea of these seals. This, he says uh, 144,000 sealed all throughout the Old Testament. There's kind of shameful, kind of demeaning, associated with slavery or punishment or even guilt. Committed a crime. Sometimes you were given a mark to say this person committed this crime. Look what Ezekiel says about the seal. This is beautiful. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4 through 6. The Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark or seal, same concept, on their foreheads. Doesn't that sound familiar with Revelation? Of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. Touch no one who has the mark. 
See how the seals they use there to determine who should not be judged. So the Old Testament has many symbolic spiritual references to the seal of God for this purpose. That seal of God is to set God's people apart from the rest of the world. And this seal represents, and follow me here, this seal represents God's sovereign hand keeping his promise he has made between him and his people. More on that later. And then there's the 12 tribes that are listed. The listing of these 12 tribes of Israel in several places in the Old Testament, what these are, these are identifiable clans or groups of people who compromised or uh, comprised, not compromised, comprised the nation of Israel. And usually when the scripture goes through in the Old Testament and takes the time to list the 12 tribes at that moment, it usually marks a significant event has just taken place. It is to mark a transition a new era in the people of the Lord in their history is beginning. And it's sort of like a census to taking, all right, here's a brand new beginning. We want to list all the people who are in the nation of Israel, the tribes. We can find them in Genesis and Exodus and Numbers, revealing growth. Sometimes they reveal regression. Some tribes will get bigger. Some tribes will get smaller. Some tribes are left out from time to time as consequences of rebellion. Sometimes their names are changed. And here's what's interesting. Every time they're listed, the list of who's on the list and the order of how they're ranked was always important. But in Revelation, both the list and the order are unique to any other list in the Bible. It's pretty fascinating. So that's the history of this passage. Look at the spiritual, the theology. What about God? What does he do? And why and how does he do? Well, who are these 144,000 anyway? So chapter 7 is not another chronological event. It's not a prophecy about what happens after the sixth seal, which is judgment. Chapter 7 is an answer to the question asked in chapter 6 by those facing the, the Lamb's wrath. This judgment of this Lamb of God is inescapable. It's all around us from the north, from the south, from the east and the west like the four winds. Who can stand against it? It's coming from all sides. No one can outrun this judgment. No one can escape it. No one can hide from it. That's the question they ask. And here's the context and the key to interpreting this passage correctly. Remember what Revelation was written for. Not to scare people. Not to make prophecy. But John says, this is to be a blessing to all who hear it. It's intended for comfort and assurance to God's people. Chapter 7 says, yes, you're right, the judgment is bad. And yes, this judgment is inescapable. But child of God, it is not for you. These sealed servants. Look what Exodus chapter, 22, or chapter 12 verse 23 says. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians... And when he sees the blood on the lintel, the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Anyone know what this passage is about? The first Passover. So the four angels who bring judgment are told, stand down. Wait until God seals his... You know what this is? It's God giving special preferential treatment to his people, preserving them from judgment that the rest face. Israel was spared that day on Passover is nothing compared to the day of the Lord. 
that we will be spared. Then there's these 12 tribes. The list here, as I said before, is different than any other list of 12 tribes in the Bible. And there is much debate as to why it's different. I'm going to answer all those questions for you. No, I'm not. I can't. <laughs> why is Dan left out of this list? Was it because of idolatry? Joseph is listed here. Joseph wasn't one of the original tribes. Why is he listed? And why are Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, listed separately? I mean, Ephraim, newsflash, Ephraim and Manasseh weren't even Jewish. They were born to an Egyptian mother. Why are tribes born from Jacob's Gentile concubines listed? Are they symbols of Gentiles, as many suppose? See, there are something significant about how this list in Revelation is different than any other. And we can't really know for sure what yet. And the fact is, as we go through Revelation, we're going to encounter many things like this as we move through. And that's okay. It still doesn't shroud the purpose of the passage. In the Old Testament, the tribes were always considered Jewish. But in the New Testament, there's a doctrine that goes through it. The church is considered part of those tribes. You've heard the phrase, every tribe and every nation. Look what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male and female. All are one in Christ. If you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. That means part of the tribes. Heirs according to promise. I mean, that's pretty airtight, right? That's who the church is in the New Testament. Part of the tribes of Israel. There was no more Jew or Gentile. It's just the people of God. We are all of Israel. We are all descendants of Jacob, spiritually speaking. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 8. I love this verse. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. In other words, it's not just people who are born Jewish. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring, descendants of Abraham. Offspring are those who belong to the 12 tribes, born as heirs to the promise. And then there's this symbolic number. Now look, I'm just going to say ahead of time, and we're going to get kind of geeky here. If you're one of those that like kind of geeked out Bible stuff, you're going to love it. If not, just kind of stay awake until we get to the end. I have good stuff for you too, okay? But this is really cool. To understand the 144,000, you don't really have to understand it really to be blessed by this passage. But let's try for fun anyway, okay? I, don't, I believe that 144,000 is not intended to be a literal number. Some arbitrary limit on some level of God's grace. I believe it's a symbol, a portrait of the completeness of the gospel, those whom God is sealing. Here's another example like this. Jesus said... <clears throat> Don't forgive seven times, but 70 times seven. Did Jesus mean you stop at 490? <laughs> no, what Jesus said when he said 70 times seven is, your forgiveness needs to be complete. That's the point he was making. I believe that's what we see here in Revelation chapter seven. As a matter of fact, Revelation 21 describes the bride of Christ as a city coming down out of heaven called New Jerusalem. The angel says, come with me, let me show you the bride of Christ. And it's the description of this beautiful city. And New Jerusalem has 12 gates. 
Each of the gates is named after, guess what? One of the 12 tribes. But then he doesn't stop there. He describes this new city having 12 foundation stones named after who? The 12 apostles. Remember Peter's name he's given? Simon, I'm calling you Peter because you are the rock and on this foundation I'll build my church. Isn't that beautiful? And then there's this number 100. Give me this idea of the 144,000. How does it get there? You can see, right, 12 times 12 equals? Some of you aren't really sure. Now you're making me unsure. I don't know. Do I think I, I, I 144. Throughout Scripture, the number 1,000 is seen as a military number, the number of soldiers in a unit. And here it is used. We have the 12 gates, the Old Testament sealed, the tribes of Israel. We have the 12 foundations, the New Testament sealed, the apostles, times 1,000, which is an army unit. So you have 12 times 12 times 1,000, 144,000. And John says, John says this. John says he saw this group where? Where was this group seen? On earth. I believe the 144,000 represents the church in battle that we learned about just a couple of weeks ago. Remember the church in battle? I believe this represents the entirety of God's sealed people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as they battle against evil on earth. The church being sealed as they wrestle against the forces of darkness from Ephesians. Those forces that, by the way, will soon be judged by the Lamb. The 144,000 symbolizes the first half of the answer to the question that the unredeemed think has no answer. Who can stand? Well, for starters, those on earth whom the Spirit of God has been sealing. At any time, the church on earth is merely just a portion of the whole work of the Holy Spirit. The rest is in heaven. Those who have gone on and those who will come and go and then when we finally are all together. I believe that any other interpretation, although well-meaning, and look, I, I don't know this for sure. This is my best understanding of Scripture. But I believe any other interpretation makes that part of Revelation sort of irrelevant to the first century Christians who are reading it 2,000 years ago, right? It goes into what I've used to call, you know, many people look at Revelation and think, oh, these are the times, right? There, it's, remember I called it apocalyptic narcissism? where we think our times are special. It's intended to be relevant, this passage, to all the redeemed on earth throughout human history, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I believe the 144,000 is, is a symbolic portrait of what? The beautiful work of the Holy Spirit on earth, carrying out the beautiful plan of redemption that was written where? In the scroll held by the Lamb. It's a lot of cool theology there, right? What about the personal section? If you guys are bored with the math stuff, now you can pay attention again, all right? Personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this truth? I've called this section denying or delaying judgment just for us. This was the sermon preview this week on social media. Why does Jesus delay his judgment of evil in the world? Why? His love for his chosen not yet sealed by the Spirit. Look at Nahum chapter 1, verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, but the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Do you remember, by the way, when we looked at the fifth seal, the martyrs under the altar? 
Do you remember the question they asked? How long do we have to wait for vengeance? When are you going to wipe out evil? What was the answer? We have to wait until all the redeemed are sealed. Remember that question? Remember that answer? And then here, what is this question? Who can stand against this judgment? Do you see this? It's the same answer. That's not a coincidence. That's a design of the book of Revelation. In, chapter, in, in, in the seal of the fifth seal of the Lamb, how long do we got to wait before you redeem us from this evil? Wait a little longer. You have brothers and sisters who need to be redeemed. And then the unredeemed, as they're being judged, who can escape? The same people that I'm redeeming. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. I find this interesting because the all, I believe that's the sealed. He's not willing that any should perish, but all of the sealed should come to repentance. Look what he says in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So this is right after verse 9 when he says the Lord is not slow to keep his promise, but he's patient, waiting for all to come to redemption. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What is that? That's judgment. That's the sixth seal. Then heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. That is clearly the day of the Lord. Judgment. But see, now, understanding revelation is intended to encourage God's people. That is the key to begin to unfold all the meaning of its beautiful symbols. This book is intended to be an encouragement for us as we make our way through our battle with evil on this earth. And we face it all the time, don't we? Temptation, darkness, betrayal, resentment. Sometimes we're amazed at the immorality of the world around us. Who can escape the wrath of the Lamb? Who is he patient toward? Part one of the answer is us today, right now. We are the reason. Why does Jesus delay judgment? He's waiting on the Spirit to seal you and me and others in the story of redemption who have not yet heard the gospel. Here's why. Because earth is the only place, not after, where the Holy Spirit calls, enlightens, and seals, and redeems for the day of redemption. And when the sealed leave this earth for heaven, which we'll talk about next week, part two of this mini-series within the series, the Spirit starts to work on the next crop of the wheat being born in the planet. Again, this week, the parable of the wheat and the weeds coming up once again. What love and what patience from our Jesus. He has every right and every reason to judge evil right now if he wanted to, but he waits. And he will continue to wait until his seal, his mark, has been placed on all of those whom he has called. And one day, one day, the number sealed on earth and in heaven will be completed. That's the day of the Lord. 
But we're not there yet. At least of this second. <laughs> Any moment we could be, but right now, I'm probably going to get through the sermon. I'm not making a prediction. I'm just... <laughs> Children of the promise. As the Holy Spirit seals those of us on earth... He is making us all children of the promise. We saw that already, didn't we? He's making us part of the 12 tribes. And there are three verses that I found that really explain this. And normally, what I, I don't like to put too much scripture on the screen. I mean, I, sometimes I'll read it and I'll paraphrase it, but you know, sometimes it gets really busy up there on the screen. So I wanted to take some of these verses out, maybe just use one, but I just couldn't. Each one is so different and so beautiful and so unique. So if you'll t- bear with me, let's just spend a little bit of time here just reading these verses. I don't have any even notes written down. I'm just going to read them and kind of walk you through it. The first one is this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Boom. Isn't that a theological bombshell right there? When are you sealed? When you hear the gospel and believe. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, I could preach a whole sermon on that. Don't worry, I won't. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Oh, this is beautiful. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ, has anointed us, chosen us, who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There's the comfort. You see what happens here? God has established us. He has anointed us, which means chosen He has also put his seal on us and the spirit which is used by God to put the seal on us also resides in our heart to comfort us, to let us know, hey, you're sealed. You see why I couldn't take that one out, right? (laughs) Watch this one in 2 Timothy 2.19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. What's the purpose of the seal? The Lord knows those who are his I'm just going to leave that one up there for a little bit. Let that echo in your mind. That's a good one, right? You know, he's making it very clear. We, the sealed, are not to be harmed. We are not to face the judgment that those four angels are just raring and ready to carry out. They sound a little bit like the four horsemen. You remember that? The Holy Spirit is calling God's chosen, sealing God's chosen. He's protecting God's chosen from the wrath, and he's also comforting God's chosen. Today, right now, let me just try to make this really ethereal for you. Today, right now, in the spiritual realm, if you are a follower of Jesus, and who are those? Those who have heard the gospel and believed you have been sealed. Right now, in the spiritual realm, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is a seal visible on you in the spiritual world. We can't see it. It's sort of like an infrared light. You know, that you can't see or certain frequencies of radio waves that you can't hear. But I tell you what, the spiritual world knows who we belong to right now. There is no missing it. They can't. Is that really the seal of God? I can't tell. No, they don't touch that one. That one's got the seal. The spirit world knows there's no missing it. And here's what's great. That seal is unremovable, unfading. It's a mark so clear 
Not only do the angels of judgment at the four corners of the earth see it, right? The four winds. You know who else sees it? Evil. Yes, the forces of darkness try to cause suffering to us in this tribulation. Remember John said, we are partners together in the tribulation. The tribulation is now. That's pretty clear throughout the book of Revelation and Scripture. We are in tribulation. Peter, the whole book of 1 Peter was about suffering in the tribulation. Yes, the forces of darkness are causing suffering in this tribulation, and we are in this time, but the evil that is causing the suffering and the pain cannot remove our seal. Just like God said, oh, you can touch Job if you want, but you can't kill him. He belongs to me. He's sealed. So do you know if you're marked? Do you know for sure if the angels of judgment will know that you're not supposed to be touched? Wouldn't it be good to know? I believe, this is what I believe about this. I believe the Spirit enables you to know that you are among this symbolic 144,000. You know it intuitively. You know it theologically. You know it experientially. I believe when the sealed, if you are part of the sealed, I believe when the sealed read this passage, they know the voice of the Lamb. Those who know, my, those who know me hear my voice and follow me. They hear the voice of the Lamb. They desire to be sealed. Question to you. Like when you hear this passage about the seal, do you, ah, I could be sealed, I could not. Huh? Or you could say, man, I sure hope I'm sealed. That's a good sign that the Spirit of God is sealing you or has sealed you. Does your heart long to know more? The fact that you're still listening to this ridiculous, geeked out Bible sermon math lesson <laughs> proves that you're interested. And while the Holy Spirit keeps his seal on us, you know what else he's doing? He is actively placing this seal on the rest of our brothers and sisters, just like he promised the martyrs under the altar. How long do we have to wait? Until I'm done calling the rest of your brothers and sisters. That's what he's doing right now across the world. He's marking and sealing those whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world. Meanwhile, God is patiently waiting just as he has since the fall of Adam, for that perfect, complete number to be fulfilled. My dear friends, today, right now, whether you're sitting here or watching on the live stream, we are part of this metaphor, this symbol of the 144,000. We are the servants of God. And while the Lamb of God is delaying his judgment for the rest of the seal, do you know what we're going to do? We will preach the gospel as the Holy Spirit continues to seal the rest. Church, we don't fear the wrath of the Lamb of God. Not anymore. But rather, because we know that we're sealed, we actually can live in anticipation of that day. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you've sealed us, that you've called us, that you're protecting us, that you're encouraging us. Lord, we confess to you there's so many things in this life that want to make us feel like we're not sealed. Sometimes it's our own shame. Sometimes it's anger, resentment, personal failure, 
But Lord, none of those things can even make a smudge on the seal that you've placed on us. We're so thankful. Lord, we're so thankful that there is an answer to that hypothetical question. Who can escape? It's us. Jesus, so thankful that you have sent the Holy Spirit to do this work. More than that, we're so thrilled that you allow us to be a part of it. So, Lord, as we go through life battling against darkness and evil, help us remember there's a seal that everyone in the spiritual world can clearly see. And it's on us. And we have been set apart. And we, not only do we escape judgment, but we enter into eternity. We thank you for this, this seal of your chosen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Next week, part two of Who Can Escape. Dixie. Woo!